0: Okay, so So, um, I think this is interesting. Hopefully you read the second chapter view in here, which was only a couple of pages, like two and a half, three pages, three and a half pages. Um, If you take these two sheets out, uh, one's called traditional premillennial view of the future, the other is called postmillennial view of the future. Postmillennial is... Pretty much what I lean into in in understanding scripture, I'd call myself something a little different. But uh, this is Sandlin's view, the post-millennialism view of the future. And the arrow goes up, 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 and then Jesus returns. So things get increasingly better. Line will lay with the wolf. People will live hundreds of years old. I said to Tracy the other day, I can't imagine how I would get things done if I was like 750 years old. How much more time that gives you in the earth to do things. What, a, what an incre- incredible, and that's the way it was, you know, in the beginning. Long, long lifespans. That's the way it will begin to be again if um, this holds true. There's a prophecy that says if a man only lives to be like 70-some years, he's going to be considered cursed, all right? And that, that the idea of this long lifespan, increasing lifespan, is part of the post millennial view of the future, where things get better and better and better, and then Jesus returns. The comparison in today's is the post millennial, Sandlin's view, with a premillennial, what I, I called in the beginning here, traditional premillennial view of the future. Okay? And I say traditional because. The, the one we've been talking about, the premillennial view that we've been talking about the past few weeks, has been called dispensational premillennial, and it's got weird stuff. It's got bells and whistles, it's got raptures, it's got mid-post-tribs, it's got the Antichrist reigning for seven years, it's got a rebuilt temple, all of those things we've been discussing. Traditional premillennialism doesn't hold to all of those things. Um, there is similarity between it because both the, the one that first chapter that Sandlin dealt with and the one in the second chapter he's dealing with, they both have this idea that Jesus has to come back and establish his rule upon the earth and then things get meted out and get better after he's back on the earth. Um, so both of those premillennialisms agree with that. Jesus comes back then things start to get better, right? Um, if you look carefully, and what um, what uh, Sandlin wants to point out, the, the problem with traditional premillennial viewpoint is it's all basically built upon Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And I'm going to read to you just a couple of verses. And this is like the crux, their crux of the matter um, is Revelation 20, which is a symbolic book, as we all know, Revelations, a lot of pictures and scenes going on. But Revelation 20, if you can turn there if you want in, in your Bible. Uh, I'm just going to rip through a quick reading of, of the passage in question. Revelation 20, and if I just read starting in uh, verse 1 and read through... Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God of, of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, The key thing that Sandlin wants us to understand about this traditional premillennial view is everything hovers around Revelation 20. They don't get much at all support from other passages in Scripture. Okay? And and because of how they understand Revelation 20, it kind of determines how they interpret the rest of Scripture. Now, if you look there, the big difference um, is Jesus has to return, they say, and rule upon the earth for this thousand-year period. And and traditional premillennialism might be a lot like what I would say. It's not a a literal thousand years. It's a long period of time, okay? Okay. But they have in here two things happening when Jesus returns. I've got above where it says Jesus returns, res number one of the body of believers. And then later on, before the final judgment, res number two of the body of non-believers. That's pretty key to pre-millennial, traditional premillennialism. They've got two resurrections and in, their, in their eschatology, their end times views. And, and they say that the reason they have these two resurrections is because of what Revelation chapter 20 verses 5 and 6 says, right? And if you look at 5 and 6, um, it does say something about this is the first resurrection, all right? This is this is the bone of contention uh, that I think Sandlin in the book tries to lay, lay straight, or get straight with us as readers. And it's why... Uh, ultimately, he believes the traditional premillennial view of the future fails. Fails Scripture. All right. Now I want to read through the, the handout I gave you, but you can kind of look back at that. These two printouts as the comparisons. Um, res number one, res number two. A big part of this. I'm going to do this quick, so. I'll make a little comments maybe in between. Here are some distinguishing views of premillennialists who do not agree with their dispensational kin. That's what we've been dealing with up until now. These might be considered traditional premillennialists. P. Andrew Sandlin disagrees with this view as well. He believes they make their whole case out of Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. One, okay, these are some truths about premillennialism. One, premillennialism does not believe in a secret rapture apart from Jesus Christ's second coming. All right, those are dispensational Premillennialists, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the uh, seminaries that have taught dispensational premillennialism seem to be leaving those views. And they, they seem to be stopping, rather, on more of a traditional premillennial view of, of Scripture. All right, um, So that's first. They don't believe in this secret rapture apart from Christ's second coming. Number two, premillennialism. Millennialism believes that the church is and always will be made up of Jews and Gentiles. They do not believe that God deals with Israel as a separate people in an end-time dispensation. That again was the other group, the dispensationalists, right? Premillennialism says, "No, it's the church. The church is the church, the churchy church, the church uh, Jews and Gentiles, and that's the way it will always be until Jesus comes back and the first resurrection occurs where you've got all believers on earth, changed bodies, ruling with Jesus. And the non-believers haven't been raised yet, unless they're still alive, and then they'll be ruled over by Jesus, okay? Number three, premillennialism believes that when Jesus comes back, a resurrection of believers occurs. Res one. They say this is the first resurrection that Revelation 24b through six speaks of when it says they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Exclamation point. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. Okay? This is all, remember, symbolic imagery scenes that that John has been shown. And so what does that mean? Okay. One thing to keep in the back of your mind, we need not understand these things all linearly, all right, in in, in a sense. We should take them more as panoramic pictures being taken. Four, premillennialism believes that when Jesus returns, he will then rule on earth for a thousand years, or the millennium, or perhaps a very long period of time, okay? Okay. Five, premillennialism believes that Jesus will rule from Jerusalem with his saints who've been given their resurrection bodies and that non-believers will comply with his kingship, though reluctantly. All right? You're, you're complying reluctantly if your heart has not been changed, right? If you're not a, a believer believer, then you're going through the motions and keeping yourself out of trouble more than anything. Number six, premillennialism believes that the success will also be due to the fact that Satan has been bound and confined to a pit during this period of time. Number seven, premillennialism believes that when the thousand years of Jesus' earthly rule is complete, that Satan will be released from the pit and that all of history, history's non-believers will be given their resurrection bodies, which they would think and call the second resurrection rather than the first resurrection, all right? Number eight, pre okay, P, yeah, P believes that Jesus will then adjudicate the final judgment. After the thousand years of reign, after the non believers have been resurrected from the dead, right, and given their new body, then they believe that the final judgment will take place. The books will be opened. Those found in the book of life will have eternal paradise with God. Those who are not in the book of life will be put into the lake of fire for eternity, along with Satan and the rebellious angels without God. Now, here's P. Andrew Sandlin's brief rebuttal, and it centers on this premillennialist interpretation of Revelation 20, 5 through 6. And uh, there are some really good thinkers pre-today's uh, thinkers even, that would agree with how we should understand Revelation 20. B.B. Um, um, B. Warfield is one I mentioned in the past, who I've got a multi-volume set, and he, he's pretty masterful in how he deals with Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. So it's not just Sandlin um, coming up with something new here. Sandlin disagrees that the first resurrection spoken of in the verse is literal, physical resurrection. This is hugely important. He argues that it is a believer's regeneration, therefore it's a spiritual resurrection. Oh, is this just playing with words? Aren't we supposed to understand the Bible literally, someone might say? Well, if it's meant to be literal, then we should understand it literally, if it's meant to be symbolic or refer to something else, then we should need to understand what the author was getting at, right? Sandlin argues that the bodily resurrection of the dead is wholesale, all right? The actual physical bodily resurrection will happen one time. It will be wholesale for believers and non believers at the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of history, not before the end of history where he's going to reign for a thousand years at the end of history when he comes back go ahead yes he would say that that first resurrection referred to in revelation 20 is people being born again it's the holy spirit making them alive though they were dead now they are alive and he brings up multiple passages that do that exact language use that exact language to prove the point all right which we'll get to in a second sandlin writes quote the fact is that regeneration is pointedly and metaphorically equated with resurrection in the Bible. John 11, and we're going to read that in a second, 25 and 26, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. Not only so, but in John 5, 25 through 29, the spiritual resurrection of regeneration is discussed, as it is in Revelation 20, in the very context of a physical or the physical resurrection. So what he's saying there is, you're going to read these passages, and you're going to see Jesus is talking about being born again, regeneration, coming alive in your person as you're alive, and he's in that same conversation. He's going to talk about the resurrection as well, and um, and this is not uncommon to be uh, being brought to life from the dead, which is what must happen to every Christian, right, while they're alive, but then for their bodies, which are laid to rest to be brought to life again physically at the resurrection, the one and only resurrection of the dead. So two resurrections in a sense is what he's saying. There's a spiritual resurrection and then there's the physical resurrection. The spiritual is being born again, otherwise known as regeneration. The physical is at the end of time when all believers and non-believers get their bodies renewed and they're physical. So John 11, this is one case. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is a Samaritan woman thing, I think. Martha, no, Martha. No, it was with Martha. He, Lazarus, right? Her. Jesus said to her, your bro- brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right? So she was talking bodily resurrection. So is Jesus, except Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone, now listen here, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So do you believe this, he says? So he's now bringing in the idea of regeneration. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's us, okay? We we still will die physically. And Jesus was not referring to that physical bodily resurrection He's referring to us being made alive um, and will never die again if we've been regenerated, as you say, Paul, born again, right? So now the comment with the asterisk is Jesus mixes the language here of bodily resurrection on the last day with the believer's life in the present. He says the believer can never die. He seems to be referring to a different type of life and death, by the, but is tying it to his conversation with Martha, right, of the bodily resurrection on the last day. Sandlin contends that this is what Revelation 20 is doing. It's referring to the first resurrection, which would be a spiritual regeneration. Those are the ones who reign with Christ for a thousand years, and the church forever has been reigning with Christ ever since he ascended to the right hand of the Father. If you doubt this, let's look at the next passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 on the the next page. This is where Paul is writing, and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, we were dead. We had to be made alive. Okay, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, We were dead in trespasses. We've been made alive together with Christ. Well, Christ has already ascended to heaven when Ephesians is being written. But, but Paul's saying, we who were dead have been made alive and we have been raised up, it says, that's resurrection language in a spiritual sense, right? With him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, the church of believers who've been Part of the first resurrection, regeneration, are right now ruling with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. That's an amazing thing that we do not fathom as we should. So, asterisk. Here Paul writes of how people of the earth are dead, at least those who remain sons of disobedience, verse 2. However, God has made the Christian alive together with Christ, verse 4 even though we were dead, we are dead no longer. In fact, verse 6 maintains we have been raised up with Jesus and seated in the heavenly places. This certainly sounds like Revelation 20, verses 5 through 6. This is Sandlin's point. The revelation, or the first resurrection spoken of in Revelation 20, 5, and 6 was not a physical body resurrection. That's not the picture God gave to John. It was a regeneration. It was a spiritual thing. And the description of some of those people who are part of this first resurrection were the people who had been beheaded. They'd been uh, persecuted. They, that was the church. John five twenty one through 29. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Hmm. to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This main point here by Sandlin is, Jesus just told them, there's one resurrection. You're going to come out, the resurrection of life, or if you've done evil, it'll be a resurrection that leads to judgment. Here Jesus speaks of giving life to the dead by regeneration in verses 21 through 24, also known as you must be born again. Sandlin would maintain that regeneration is congruent, okay? It's the same. It goes along with the first resurrection that is referred to in Revelation 25 and 6. This is the coming to life and reigning with Christ. If you've been born again, you have come to life, and whether or not you know it, you are reigning with Jesus Christ. It has been a reality for the church since Jesus walked the earth, all Christian men, women, and children have experienced the first resurrection. Asterisk, Sandlin recommends that the biblical teaching is of one single resurrection day for all believers and non-believers, and it will occur at Jesus' second coming. He cites 1 Corinthians five twenty-two through 23 as an example. I'm going to read a little bit more than that. But if you look at it, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Physical resurrection, right? Of Jesus' body. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is destroyed when the resurrection occurs, okay? Death is done. It just has no power because everyone's been given their physical bodies back again. Sandlin writes, The problem of premillennialism is the attempt to base an eschatological view on a single text in a highly symbolic book, particularly when this view conflicts with the view of clearer biblical passages on the topic. And he says that on page 24. Any thoughts, questions, yeah buts, things that stuck out to you when you read the chapter, if you read the chapter? Not just a thousand years. It's not just a literal thousand years. Right, yes. And that's the way you got to understand a lot of the symbolism of Revelation. Is this thousand year is not just meant to be a literal one thousand years. But a long, long, long period of time where Jesus is ruling and Satan is bound. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to how to speak to that. But any other thoughts or questions or comments? So this premillennialism is different than the one we've been discussing. Discuss I said discussing, not disgusting, right? Um, but this one is a little bit more sober. Okay, there's not a lot of weird bells and whistles. You can almost go like, okay, well, if they're right about verses five and six, I can. I find this more, more stomachable, right? However, it's um, not stomachable if it's not thoroughly biblical. And the fact that they treat two resurrections, bodily resurrections, as separate from each other uh, on the bookends of Christ's thousand-year period reign on, church, uh, on earth is still problematic, in, in my mind at least, in the text that I and people I've appreciated learning from. Um, Someone said last time, oh, Georgina, I think it was, but they make it sound so convincing, right? And it was about uh, rapture and this and that. And I think what you got to remember is whenever someone makes an argument and applies scripture to the argument, and you can try to understand what that scripture is saying, it seems convincing because we want to respect scripture. We want to understand it correctly, we, we have a hard time thinking, well, that's what you're telling me, it's what it says, and it's Scripture. So now if I don't believe it, am I not believing Scripture? All right. And There's that other the proverb that says, one man's argument sounds real convincing until another man comes along. And I am grateful to God for uh, positive amillennialists or postmillennialists or however you want to call them, coming along and, and having work out there that can be examined and help explain what Scripture's really saying, because I, uh, I think the last view is just bat crazy, right? And, and, and this one, I think, is more palatable, and this is probably the way a lot of the theolo- theologians of that last view have gone, because the last view is so incredible. Um, but this still isn't sufficient. In fact, I think you're going to see next time. So read the next chapter. Amillennialism, which is typically what the Reformed view has been. They call it amillennialism, no millennium, so to speak. That's more, much more convincing than either of these first two, and um, much more satisfying. However, it still doesn't answer some important questions and some important texts in my mind. So, and. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and they won't, you know, because it all's got to fit. It meshes. Yeah, work there. Oh, right. You, you probably would if you read it, it uh, you know, all by itself without the context of what we should understand by terms like resurrection and regeneration and Jesus' thoughts and Paul's thoughts. And Yeah, we might just take it and say, if I were to take this and these things are all literally going to happen because we believe the Bible's literal. That's, that's, that's the, uh, I guess, the trump card word that gets used. I believe the Bible's literal. Well, so do I. Well, you, know, you would have to, right. But if you believe the Bible's literature, that means you believe it was written with literary uh, effect. There are metaphors. There's, there are um, expressions. There's a spiritual uh, description. Sometimes there's a physical description. Words are used differently. That's understanding the Bible literal. It's not a cardboard literalism. Is yes, what's that? Oh yeah, yeah. This this is where things shown to him, and, and but what what Paul is saying, I agree because John, even in the Gospel and his couple of epistles, writes different. He he's he's more of a hey. Can you imagine? I mean, he he's harder. He's not as clear-cut as, say, Mark and Matthew and, and Luke and Paul and Peter even. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, he, John's more of an artist in how he writes, I think. And and so you add on top of that that he's been shown these visions and these scenes that even he would probably have to step back and go, uh, I'm just telling you what I saw. <laughs> you know, although I, I think he had intentionality too that he understood what was being shown to him to a great degree but any other thoughts or comments yeah i have much more respect for the attempt of a traditional premillennial person to try to deal and handle scripture more carefully and respect respectably than the dispensational premillennialist i think that's just it, it kind of gets wacky and um, But, all that being said, let's end in prayer then. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this time here. I pray that we would be benefiting from these things to a degree. I, I, I think we will even more uh, come next time as we compare uh, this view of Sandlin, a post-millennial view, with a uh, uh, more of a typical Reformed way of looking at uh, the future, which is amillennialism. We ask you to be with us in our reading and in our discussion. In Jesus' name, amen.